Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So we've had Frank Saravalli on from Daily Faceoff and Brad Hall, an Edmonton Oilers assistant general manager. The NHL draft comes up next week. I think it's next Wednesday and Thursday. We will tell you that Oilers director of amateur scouting, Tyler Wright, will join us on Friday's show, and we'll endeavor to get Oilers GM Ken Holland on before the draft as well. Uh, Royal Pizza, pizza pasta, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for 50-plus years. You can get their new boneless wings, 8 for thirteen ninety five or 16 for twenty five ninety five. Visit royalpizza.ca. I know our next guest has been on uh, in the past with Brendan Escott when he's been pinch hitting for me uh, when I've either been on the road or uh, maybe taken a little bit of. Well, it wouldn't have been the last draft. When did you have? I think it was August and we were talking World Juniors oh, with Steve. Oh, okay. Was he in town for that? Uh, I, I, I was not hanging out for the media with that, but I was at uh, a couple of the games. We're going to head off to the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline. And uh, welcome to the show, Stephen Ellis. He's with Daily Faceoff to discuss the upcoming NHL draft. Hi, Stephen. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Uh, were you in town for the uh, uh, World Juniors last year? Yep, it felt like it was just kind of me and about five other people most of that time. Yeah. I was I was hanging out. Uh, I was there for a bunch of the games, but uh, uh, let's just say not sitting with the media uh, for those events. I was more in a little bit of an entertainment role. So it was it was interesting because it was uh, obviously Mason McTavish played a critical part in Canada winning, but uh, you know Connor Bedard was such a huge part of that and a massive. Um, uh, season this year in the Western Hockey League, and it's I, I saw Connor against a loaded up Edmonton Oil Kings team, and I saw Connor Bedard. He probably should have had eleven points in a Sunday afternoon game at Rogers Place this past season, and it really is. It, it, it's not a two horse race. It's it's the Connor Connor McDavid draft, isn't it? Or sorry, Connor Bedard draft. For sure. Like, even if you look back at the year that McDavid was drafted, there was a lot of questions. Like, could Eichel actually challenge here? But in this year, it's, just, it's not close. You know, Connor Bedard, one of the best prospects we've seen in quite some time. And it's a guy we've known about for a long time, too. Like, you look back, and he was kind of first on the scene in, like, 2018. And just ever since, he just continues to find ways to amaze people. My comparable is an old-school one, Marcel Dion who was in the, it was the Fleur Dion draft of 71, and Marcel Dion had 10 40-plus goal seasons. Part of it is the similar build, the, the, you know, the stockier, thicker build, and the fact that he can score on top of being a playmaker. For the listeners that maybe haven't seen a lot of Connor Bedard, is there a, a couple comparables? You've seen him a bunch. What do you see in him? Like, what kind of, who do you think he's going to end up being? You know, there's a bit of it, kind of the way he he acts as a playmaker, kind of looks like a Mitch Marner, uh, as a shooter, kind of like a Patrick Kane. He kind of fused the two together. And, you know, the one thing I think that's kind of underrated in his game, actually, is his physicality. And we saw it a lot at the World Juniors the last two years, but uh, I was doing some numbers, and obviously, like, WHL stats and hitting stats like that are a little harder to find, but he's actually been about as physical in terms of hits per game as we've seen as the number one prospect. So he's got that going for him, too, but I think, yeah, you got to look at Marner, you got to look Kane fused those together and you've got Connor Bedard. And I'm going too far back with Marcel Dion, who, by the way, ended up having far more career points than Guido Fleur. Guido Fleur was my idol as a kid, but is that just too far of an old school reference? They're not relevant today? What do you think? Uh, I don't think I think you retired before I was born, so that doesn't help. Okay, there there you go. Stephen uh, Ellis joined us from Daily Faceoff. So there's no debate it's number one, and there's no way the Chicago Blackhawks do something crazy like trading the pick, is there? 
I, I, you, you, I don't know if there's a single player outside of maybe McDavid that you can get in a trade for that, so that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is, he, is he a center or right wing? What do you think? Uh, he is a center, but he does have that wing experience from the playoffs, uh, or in the, the world uh, juniors, I should say, but uh, just the way he can control everything down the middle, I don't think you'd want to move him. Is there any concern, like, I think he's quick. He clear, like, There's nobody that skates like Connor McDavid. Is there any concern out there with any of the scouts that you've spoken to or in the viewings that you've personally had, Stephen, with him about uh, you know the, the skating in any way, shape, or form with Connor Bedard? It's kind of funny. I, I try to continue to get scouts to tell me, like, what really stands out as a negative. And they say, like, not nothing really. Like, we're still talking about Bedard maybe being a top-five skater in this draft. And he doesn't need to be. He's got the skill to kind of make it work. And even in bursts, he could be really quick there. But uh, I, I don't, so far, there's been no real concerns about any real element of his game. You know, we have Frank on the show, and I've had these conversations with Frank over the year. I think Connor McDavid is the most advanced player that's ever lived. Well, when I see Connor Bedard shoot the puck, I think Connor Bedard is a guy that has maximized the stick as a weapon, like his abilities to change his launch pointers, release point on shots. Uh, I mean, it, the only guy I can think of in the last six or seven years that's come into the draft that can shoot the puck like him is like Austin Matthews. And Austin Matthews is a big man. And I guess that's what makes it so interesting. He really has maximized. And, and I know that there was an injury when he was a kid. I forget how old he was. Uh, but I think it actually improved his shooting. It's unbelievable the the velocity and the angles of which that he can get shots off, isn't it? For sure. Like, I think the guy that might be the closest in terms of, like, that type of shot is, is maybe Ovechkin in his prime, just the way he's able to fire a shot so quickly. And with Bedard, he uses a very, like, low-flex stick, or very high-flex stick, I should say, so he can flex that thing like it's, it's no one's business. You kind of think, like, he should be able to snap those sticks pretty easily, but he doesn't. And talking to Andrew Cristal at the uh, NHL Draft Combine, a good friend of his, they grew up together, and he was saying, like, just from a very early age, Bedard was put in bar downs and he was doing these great shots that you know while the rest of the group could even get the puck in the air and from an early age it was clear that his shot was something special and you look at it now and it's, it's just like you can't find a prospect that could shoot like him there's one more thing that i really like about him and i don't know if this factors in or anybody even thinks about this you tell us steven he didn't get traded from regina he knew the position that they were in, that they were they were a middle team in the Western Hockey League. You had, you know, Seattle loading up. Uh, Seattle probably should have won the Memorial Cup and never got to their A game and give full credit to Patrick Waugh and what their Quebec Ramparts did. But Seattle had six World Junior players. Kamloops hosted the event. They did the massive trade for Zellweger. Does it speak to his character? That he stuck with the Regina Pats instead of maybe, you know, forcing a trade to one of those loaded up WHL teams? He could have easily played anywhere he wanted, and any team would have made whatever it took to get him. And for him to kind of say, you know, like, I want to play here, I want to finish it out, like, that means a lot, not only to the fan base, but, you know, like, you think about the teammates there and shows, like, you know what? If that team was going to go far, if Regina was going to go far, it was going to be because of Bedard, and they knew that, and they they having him there meant a lot. Now, whether that was the right call, uh, I think Regina would probably like to have those years of success down the line as opposed to maybe just this one year, but they can always say they were the only junior team for, for Connor Bedard. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because when I evaluate players, like I, Leon Dreisaitl, as a European player, went to Prince Albert. Prince Albert is, Prince Albert's a bit like Edmonton had some challenges at the NHL level for a while. They couldn't maybe get in on every guy. I'm not. I don't know if PA realistically. 
basically every player is open to going there. I'm not sure about that. Maybe they have some chance. Like there's some advantages that markets like Edmonton and Calgary and Vancouver might have in the Western League. I think it says more about Caden Gooley and Leon Dreisaitl that they went to Prince Albert. Some would say the same that it would exist uh, in Erie. They haven't always got, I know for a fact, they haven't got, gotten every first-round pick because there was one that came to Edmonton as the number one overall. He didn't go to Erie. Now, it might have been school-related. But I, I, I always kind of to think, uh, you know, when you're digging deeper on players' characters, it does say something. All right, Stephen Ellis is joining us from Daily Faceoff. Stephen, here, let's get to a couple quick hitters. For you, Adam Fan. Fantilli or Carlson? Who do you got going number two and why? It's got to be Adam Fantilli. He'd be number one in most other draft classes. Uh, I've been able to watch him kind of since he was like a young teenager and seeing what he was able to do. And a guy who could dominate the play physically and with the puck. Uh, players that size don't typically, you know, skate as well as he does. He's got a great shot. He's got everything you're looking for, kind of like a Evgeny Malkin early career type player there. And, uh, you know, I, again, first overall pick in most other drafts. He's that good. What about Carlson? What do you see in him? I think Carlson has got to be one of the best net front guys in the entire draft, a guy that we saw him at the World Championship playing against some pretty quality NHL players and was one of the better players for Sweden. Uh, you know, Lucas Raymond had a lot of great things to say about him. A guy that can just kind of play a really strong two-way game, very reliable, put pucks in it, and uh, he's a number one center. All right. We have uh, – there are about 350,000 Ukrainians in the province of Alberta, okay? And there's a thing called the Russian factor when it comes to – this is a – this is – it's not even a contentious issue in this province. We have a, you know, we, we have a battle currently taking place. We're not going to get into a geopolitical debate except one thing. Uh, the Russian factor in the KHL affects Russian players. Tell me about uh, Mitchkov and whether or not how much of a factor you envision it, uh, how, how talented the player is, and how much of a factor do you think the Russian factor is going to be in where he potentially ultimately ends up getting drafted? I think the Russian factor kind of only really applies to him because I think when you look back at the competition, specifically the 2021 under-18s when it was him versus Bedard, Mitchkov was the better player. And Mitchkov didn't have the same line mates that uh, Bedard did in terms of quality. So Mitchkov, what he was able to do everything in the KHL this year is special. He is a very good argument for him to be the second best prospect in this draft but you know his, his KHL contract until 2026 definitely can, uh, is concerning I think the one thing to look at here is you know a lot of prospects even for top 10 prospects take two to three years till they're ready anyways and sometimes they could even benefit from an extra year so it's not like it needed him right away and a team maybe fourth like San Jose maybe fifth like Montreal that can wait a little bit uh, where their GMs are kind of new in there with their roles could be willing to wait but I it, Basically, if he's falling outside of the top three, it, it's not a talent thing. It sucks because he should be there. He should be in the NHL next year. I guess the one thing to be concerned about is when his KHL deal does uh, end, would Scott St. Petersburg, the team he plays for, would they be trying to keep him there even long term? Could they go and say, we'll give you a 12 13 $14 million to stay here? That could always be a possibility. I don't envision it. But, you know, you never know. Uh, so we have a bit of a Russian factor. Do we have an American factor because all the best American players seemingly end up on that U.S. national development program? And that, you know, you look at Connor Bedard, and all due respect to some of his Western League teammates, he's not necessarily playing with his high-end guys as what is basically a, a U.S all-star team and their draft eligibles every year and I, I think specifically Will Smith and Ryan Leonard and you know are there advantages to being a part of that team or conversely does that maybe work against them at times in the draft you tell me 
A bit of both. Uh, one guy, Grayson Sachin, who was with the, the U.S. National Development Team last year, he, he bailed on it to go play in the WHL, goes and has a great season there, and, and has put himself in the first-round contention where had he stuck there, he might have not have been drafted to the third or fourth round, and those ice time opportunities are valuable. On the other hand, you know, playing with the best and, and trying to stand out against that uh, can really help your draft situation where even in a poor year for the U.S. National Development Team, not this year, but in other years, uh, you can still shine just because you're the top player on an all-star team. And I think with this year, the big three being uh, all, uh, being Gabriel Perot, Ryan Leonard, and Will Smith, like, you know, they've just played together all year long. They were great. That chemistry was outstanding. And then you throw in Oliver Moore, another guy who's the fastest player in this draft. So, for those guys are really helped but then you know the talent level kind of starts to fall off because if you're not that top scoring line you're not getting as much attention anymore so it's kind of the benefits of for the high players it's great for the players that are maybe not a high draft pick it could hurt them who do you think uh, we're joined right now by Stephen ellis from daily faceoff Stephen, in your opinion who's the second best player available out of the western league this year uh, it's got to be Zach Benson of, uh, well, was the Winnipeg Ice. And just, you know, he dealt injury to close out the season, but he still had almost 100 points. Not a big guy, but he's strong, great release. Uh, his shift-to-shift effort level is as high as it gets. Uh, you know, there's there's some that think that maybe the gap between, let's say, Will Smith and Zach Benson is quite high. I kind of disagree. I think Benson's someone who you can build a line around and, and, and be such a valuable player on your first line. I'm going to ask you about a couple guys that may be in the mix late in the second round. Uh, I have had a chance to see the Red Deer Rebels affair. Uh, Cam Moon and myself ended up going to 10 of the 11 games that were in Edmonton during the uh, the pandemic year of uh, 2021. Uh, so, uh, but And we saw Red Deer a bunch. I'm going to ask you about Caleb Leand. Um, whose brother Cole, I think, is playing for Seattle's farm team uh, in uh, down in the American Hockey League right now. They're in the uh, you know playing for the Calder Cup. But Caleb Lean, and then I'm also going to ask you about a guy out of the Prince George Cougars, Cone Zimmer. Do you do you envision these guys being middle second round picks? And I mention them because Edmonton still has a second round pick that's probably going to come in around fifty to fifty three. Yeah, so right, right I'm working on my draft rankings, actually, for tomorrow, and I do kind of lead as a guy that could be an option there. Uh, you know, he's probably one of the more one of the better energy forwards in this team. Uh, like, we're not expecting huge offensive numbers, but he could be a middle six forward uh, with the, the potential to step up in a pitch. He's played with quality players. Uh, I think the big thing that I really liked was watching him at the uh, – the, the Capital Canada showcase that they had in Ottawa during the pandemic where he was one of the standout players where he wasn't putting up a ton of points necessarily, but he was maybe one of the most noticeable guys throwing big hits. He was creating plays and did things like that. So I like a guy like that. And Zemer playing on a Prince George team that had a lot going from them this year. Uh, I think he's, uh, I, I can envision him going probably around the 50s. Um, you know, he, he had 41 goals, 89 points, so he had a lot of points. Um, and he was actually one of the best goal-scoring players um, over the last two years uh, of draft-eligible players. So he's someone that I think could be another good value option. I think there's a little bit of concern over his skating, but he can score. He had 30 and 40 in the last two years. Stephen, let's do this again maybe once more before the draft actually takes place. Thank you for taking time to join us on Oilers Now. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. You bet that's Stephen Ellis of Daily Faceoff. It's 1.49 in Edmonton. Uh, do want to mention this to you. The Oilers Now Injury Reports brought to you all season long by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Trent Brown, of course, the winner of the Great Cup of 93 with the then-named Edmonton S, a two-time CFL All-Star. 
Of course, now they're the Edmonton Elks, and James H. Brown's a proud supporter of the Edmonton Oilers, the Edmonton Elks, and the U of A Golden Bears. We'll wrap up Oilers now with this day in Oilers history when we return. To our Ashley Fine Floors text line, Epstein's mother making a reappearance. Stoff, you never brought up a defenseman in your conversation with Steve Ellis. That's right, I didn't. You can interpret that any way you want there, Epstein's mother. Uh, do want to mention this? Uncle Milt from Brent Ridge Ford says advertising on Oilers now works. The phone's been ringing, but they're still in need of more quality-used vehicles, and they're prepared to pay top dollar for trade-ins or outright purchases. Remember, there's a reason why Brent Ridge Ford is a 12-time President's Award winner for customer satisfaction. If you want to be treated fairly during... Um, Every aspect of your vehicle purchase and ownership, reach out to Johnny, Rich, Uncle Milt, and the team at Brent Ridge Ford, 780-352-6048. Cars cost less in Wetaskiwin. We head off to the state Oilers history. It was a good one for the Edmonton Oilers, surveying travelers since 1979. Book your vacation today at newestravel.com. Here's Brendan Escott. 2008, we go when Edmonton used the 22nd overall pick in the 2008 entry draft to select Jordan Eberle from the Regina Pats. After debuting in October of 2010, Ebbs spent his first seven seasons with the Oilers, 382 points, 500 regular season games. 2012, he was an All-Star and a Lady Bing finalist thanks to a 34-goal, 76-point season. He was then traded to Long Island, one for one for Ryan Strom after a, a meager playoff output in 2017. Yeah, uh, the Oilers between Lucic, Eberle, and Nugent Hopkins, that was their second line to start series for the first four games against the Ducks back in 2017, and then Pouliot ended up with Nugent Hopkins and Everly. Uh, those four forwards uh, were combining at that time for $22 million in salary cap, but they never scored an even-strength goal in the series against the Ducks, and Edmonton lost 3-1 goal games to Anaheim. Uh, that said, uh, you know, Everly was a pretty good player for a number of years for Everton, and a lot of players struggle in their first playoff series. Uh, tonight, 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 Reed Wilkins has inside sports. Brendan Escott, what's he got shaking? You will hear from former double uh, E quarterback Matt Nichols, a Hockey Hall of Fame writer from The Athletic, Eric Duhatchik, and uh, Edmonton Stingers guard uh, Attica Peter McNeely will join the show as well. We tomorrow are certainly going to replay a clip from Frank Saravalli along from Brad Holland, getting lots of texts on Brad's appearance. Also on tomorrow's show, former NHL general manager for WOW Factor Desserts, Brian Lawton, Sportsnet's Mark Spector, and from the Cult of Hockey, David Staples. Up next, the global news weather traffic update with Randy Kilburn, followed by Rob Breckenridge from 2 to 3. Uh, then Chelsea on Chad with Chelsea Bird from 3 to 6. Stay safe, everybody. Back at you tomorrow.